This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Luke 9, 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Good good morning, First Prize. I'm glad to be with you this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would ask you to have it open there to Luke uh, 9 verses 1 through 6, as I'll be referencing it. But let's take a moment and open in prayer together, shall we? Uh, Lord, we do come before you, and Lord, we are thankful for the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness we've been given. As we were reminded just a little bit ago, Lord, we, we sin in so many ways against one another. And yet, Lord, you have shown so much grace to us. Help us faithfully to show grace. Lord, I pray that you would move upon us today. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive. God, I pray that you would protect my mouth, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, I pray that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray each and every week, Lord, that you would change us, that we would not be the same people when we leave this place that we were when we walked in. And Lord, that is our prayer today. We pray that you would move upon us, that you would change us and transform us more and more into the image of your beloved Son, our Savior. And we trust that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We pray believing in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Maybe you've seen the commercial recently that has been all over the airwaves. It seemed like every channel I was on, it seemed to pop up. But it's the commercial of a waitress who's walking through a restaurant, and for some reason she slips. They don't show you why, and she falls on her back, and she hits her head, and she seems to be unconscious. And right away, there's a lady who's sitting in one of the booths at the restaurant. She she steps up, she runs over, and she says, don't worry, I watch a lot of medical dramas. Medical dramas? (laughs) What does that have to do with helping this lady who just fell? And then she says something totally wrong. She says, it's okay. And she has her hand upon her chest. She says, it's okay. Her kidneys are still beating. As you watch that commercial, you you come to the realization that simply watching, simply consuming isn't enough. We need to practice what we're to live out. And that's exactly where our text is at 
this morning, this idea of practicing our faith. See, Jesus, in a great level of compassion, does something absolutely astounding in his text. He imparts his power and his authority to his disciples. And he sends them out. I want to draw your attention to verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Friends, I draw your attention just to the first few words there of chapter 9, verse 1. It says he, referring to Jesus, called the twelve together. That's a big deal because you got to remember at this time, this is the height of Jesus' popularity. People from all over are coming to, to be part of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is healing the sick. Jesus is preaching and proclaiming. And people want to be where Jesus is at. You could call a lot of those people disciples. Yet Jesus takes the 12 and he sets them apart from the rest of the disciples and he gives them marching orders. He sends them on mission. What's ironic about that is chapter 9, which is a very long chapter, 60-some verses. What's, what's important to recognize is that some 50 of those 60 verses are focused on Jesus preparing the disciples. Jesus is choosing to call these 12 out and to give them hands-on experience started to think about our own residency program here for our church planners. We take them aside and we give them special responsibilities, special duties. They, they go on visitation with me. They stand in the pulpit. They preach. They also are teaching classes. They're, they're doing things that are getting their hands dirty for the work of ministry. This calling is to be involved it requires more than just listening. It requires doing. And friends, I, I draw your attention to verse 2. Jesus gives the mission for which they were called and being sent out. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, for many of us, we're, we can just shrug our shoulders and say, I'm very comfortable with that. It makes sense. I, I knew that's what the disciples did. But let me say it a different way. Their mission was word and deed. Their mission was both word and deed. The first is they had a responsibility to proclaim. The second is they had a calling to heal. I want you to think about that in light of Jesus preparing his disciples for the day that he would no longer be with them. Just as we prepare our church planters for the day that they leave the greenhouse, so to speak, and they go and are planted somewhere else. Jesus is making it very clear what their mission is to proclaim and to heal. Let's deal first with that idea of proclaiming. Preaching ministry is the primary calling of the apostles. It was the primary reason for which the apostles and the disciples existed was to declare the good news of Jesus. Their ministry would be a word-centered ministry. It was a verbal message 
that they were to declare. They couldn't preach the gospel by their deeds. They needed to proclaim the gospel through words. They were declaring who Jesus is. Just simply doing actions wouldn't be enough. They needed to point to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus. That was what they were called to do, to point to Jesus. Ironically, Paul would later write in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing. Friends, that's important because it tells us the way in which people enter into the kingdom of God. They enter into the kingdom of God by hearing the message of Christ. Every one of us who is truly a member of Christ's kingdom, truly belonging to the household of God, has entered because we've heard the message and we received it. That idea is that faith comes by hearing. The preaching message was important. And in preaching, they were ultimately proclaiming the reign of Jesus. They were proclaiming his kingdom, his reality, his goodness. Just one chapter over in chapter 10, we're told of the very thing that the disciples said. They said things like, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Their focus was God's kingdom, specifically in the person and the work of Jesus. But it wasn't just simply about Jesus' kingdom. It was also a call of repentance because of that kingdom. It was a changing of one's heart and recognizing they're not king, but Jesus is. Also in Luke 10, we see an example of these messages that the disciples gave where they said, woe to you, woe to you. The type of message therefore contains the idea of who Jesus is, King of kings and Lord of lords, ruler over all, and woe to you who reject that message. There's a call for repentance, for realignment to submission to King Jesus. And all of this was done through a word ministry. Their ministry of the word pointed to the words and works of Jesus. Those who received it would be blessed. Those who reject it would be cursed. Isn't that after all what we do in the church today? We stand up and we proclaim Jesus, his finished work on the cross, why he came to the world. He came to die. He came to die for sinners such as us. What we do with what we hear matters. We're accountable to what we hear. And churches are accountable to what they proclaim. What do we do with that message? Friends, interesting enough, Jesus didn't just say, go and proclaim. Jesus called his disciples also to go and do. Why? What difference does it make? If people are coming faith by faith by hearing, why is deeds even necessary? Well, by their deeds, they were confirming the truth of their message. They were confirming the truth of their message. See, as the disciples went out, as they were able to heal the layman, as they were able to help those who were blind to see, they were confirming the message that they proclaimed. They were pointing to Jesus and said, I do this in Jesus' name, in Jesus' power. For Jesus is the king who's arrived to redeem 
the people, to heal what is broken. But all the while, what's interesting is the disciples never were to take that upon themselves. They were to make much of Jesus. From beginning to end, their job was to make much of Jesus, to point to him, his rule and authority. When they did signs and wonders, it was to point to him and not receive the worship themselves. See, very clearly here, the church was to be involved in meeting both the spiritual and the physical needs of the people. What's ironic is if you study anything with history, you discover very quickly that the church had a major major role to play in the development of hospitals. Do research on your own, you'll see it. Even today, many hospitals are named after certain saints or certain churches or certain groups. There's the Presbyterian Hospital. There's St. Jude's. They're everywhere. But even in the history of the past, we see the role the church played in dealing with the physical needs of people. You see, this also applied to the importance of deacons in the church. In Acts chapter 6, when there was a crisis over physical needs, a whole group of people were called to serve. These were ministers of mercy to deal with the physical needs of the church. So we see deacons are vital, beginning in Acts chapter 6 and forward to the vitality of the church. Church is to have word and deed ministry because our deeds confirm our words. The question I ask us today is, do we know our mission? As a church, do we really understand what we've been called to do? fearful thing is for a church to lose its way. They say mission drifts. They say it's easy for churches to get derailed and lose sight of why they were called. Could you imagine that with the disciples? They knew exactly why they were sent. According to verse 2, they were told very clearly they were sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Here's your marching orders. Go do it, Jesus said. Be about my business. But if we know our mission, are we actually on mission? Are we living it? Are we pointing others to Jesus? And do our deeds affirm our message? Let me say it this way. Do your actions in your community and in your places of work take away from your testimony? See, that's really what the deeds do, don't they? They affirm our message. These questions are important for anyone who is a true disciple of Jesus. Do I know my mission? Am I on mission? Am I proclaiming the goodness of Jesus to others? And do my deeds affirm my message? But it's very important that you don't miss where the ability came to do their mission. In fact, it was so important to Luke, he he tells it in the very first verse. Go back to verse 1. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. But draw your attention to the two groups there. There's the physical illnesses, the physical struggles. 
diseases. Then there was the spiritual realm, the demons. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about Jesus' power over both those realms. As Jesus calmed the storm and as Jesus cast out demons, and now we see Jesus imparting his authority and his power to his disciples to be on mission by his power and hinder his authority. See, friends, it's absolutely true. It's not enough to be called on mission. We actually have to have the ability to fulfill it. For years, I helped coach Little League football. And for years, you'd see the very first day, those little guys would put the helmets on. They looked like bobbleheads. The helmet was actually bigger than their body. And sometimes their helmet would kind of slide one way or the other. And at times, we would grab their face mask, and we'd try to pump them up and say, why are you here? What do you want to do? And they'd look you in their little eyes, and they'd say, I want to play in the NFL. All right, we got a mission. Could you imagine if I took them and loaded them up and took them down over to the Ford Field and threw them out there with the Detroit Lions? Well, they might actually beat the Lions, but. <laughs> but could you imagine? That would be child abuse to throw someone who has a mission but doesn't have the power to fulfill it. And that's important to understand because Jesus isn't just giving his church a mission without power. He's giving us the power to do what he's called us to do. And empowerment comes from him. It's granted to us through the Spirit. Remember that story in Acts 2 of Pentecost? The disciples in the upper room, they waited, they gathered in their fear. Jesus had ascended, what's next? And the Holy Spirit shows up and power. A Peter who was deathly afraid and denied Jesus some three times now declares with boldness who Jesus is, even in the face of conflict or hostility. See, the apostles were able to fulfill their mission because of the authority and power Jesus granted them. They truly could be his witnesses. Friends, think about that word witness for a minute. In our understanding, it's the idea of going to a courtroom and giving testimony. But I want to actually capture a deeper understanding of what really took place here in Luke 9. It was the idea that they were representing Jesus Christ and his authority over both the physical world and the spiritual world. He had granted them the ability and the right to carry this message. The church was given literally the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Authority. The church has been given authority. Think about our, our commissioning in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And notice this, behold, I am with you always. The authority's with you to the end of the day. The power is with you. Church, that's why we can look people in the eye and say with confidence, as they do in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. 
We can say it with absolute confidence because of the authority and the power that comes with it. Not a power we have on our own or authority we have in ourselves, but authority and power that comes with Jesus, who's king, whose kingdom we're to proclaim, trusting that it is advancing and growing and flourishing. This authority does come with power, power through his word and spirit. Remember what he said through Paul in Romans 1.16. He said the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's dynamite. It's power. Yet the church limps along in fear. When we hold power, the power of the gospel that faith truly does come about to those who hear and receive. There is real power in the word of Christ because of the spirit of Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, he strengthened him with power through the Holy Spirit. That's why everything changed on Acts 2. That's where the confidence for Peter came from, the Holy Spirit. There's power and authority that we have been given for the mission. That's why Jesus said something absolutely astounding. He said, greater works than these will you do. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about the power of that upon the church. And what he really means is the greater scope. For surely they would never do anything greater than Jesus. But the scope of the church as it reached the ends of the world, advancing the kingdom of God under his authority, through his power. What a beautiful thing to know that we've been sent on mission and as we've been sent on mission, we have been empowered. Friends, that's why I believe Luke writes it first. He says very clearly, he gave them power and authority. And then he gives them their marching orders to go and proclaim the kingdom and to heal the sick. We've been given power. Power that's found in God's word. Power that comes through the Holy Spirit. Authority that belongs to King Jesus. He owns the physical and the spiritual realms. There is nothing that is not his. So I ask you, as a Christian, as a disciple, as a church member, do we understand the power that the church has? Do we understand where the source of power comes from? See, all too often, the source of the power is forgotten. All too often, the church gives credit to man rather than Christ. Church, may we always give credit where credit is due. May Jesus always receive the honor at our table for every food that we eat. May he receive every blessing and honor for everything he's provided for our families. And most of all, may he always receive the honor within his church for the people he saved and the kingdom he's advanced. As you look at this story of Jesus sending out his disciples, it's interesting that he very clearly has a clear mission and clear empowerment for them. 
but he also has a clear method. I draw your attention to verse 3. He says, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not even have two tunics. Basically, don't worry. The apostles were to take nothing with them. They were to learn to trust the Lord for everything. One of my favorite stories is the story of George Mueller, a man who started an orphanage. He just wanted to care for, for children in the UK. He, he just had a heart for the children in England, and, and he saw that they were work, walking the streets, and they were being used and abused, and his heart broke for them, but he had no resources, humanly speaking. But he had all the treasures of heaven because he knew who reigned over everything. One of the most amazing stories is how he would pray and God would deliver. Do we know the method that God is using? That God is saying, trust me, turn your eyes to me. Don't look there, don't look there, look at me, trust me. This is what he was teaching his disciples as he was sending them out. They needed to know that he was the source. Look to me. What's interesting is the contrast. See, when Jesus does this, this is a time of his popularity. He knew the disciples would be welcomed for they were, they were representing him. And everywhere he went, people wanted to be around them, especially as they declared the message of him and they were able to confirm the message with their signs and their wonders. But things would change. Later in Luke, Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 35, we read this. Jesus said, when I sent you out with no money or no bag, no knapsack or sandals, did you ever lack anything? They responded, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. What changed? Why all of a sudden did Jesus shift his method for how the disciples were to carry themselves? Early on, they're to take nothing with them, and they're just to go and stay in homes and, and just trust the Lord. Why now? Well, by the 22nd chapter of Luke, we move from popularity to hostility. Things had changed. The point is, the method changed, but the message didn't. Let me say that again. The method changed, but the message didn't. It's a very important point. Especially we as a church who begin to look around and notice that the culture is greatly shifting. No longer do the morals of, of society resemble the morals of the Bible. The things that the Bible says are true and the way in which we should live, which used to be mimicked in our culture, are no longer mimicked in our culture. And we can expect that our time of popularity will come to an end. But that doesn't mean that our message must stop being preached. No, we may have to be smarter. We may have to be more careful. I think of the underground church in places like China where they meet in caves and have passwords. They come differently in how we gather, but we have a responsibility to always proclaim, to always be on mission. In fact, we recognize that people will respond differently. Look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. And whoever, in whatever house you enter, stay there 
And from there, depart, meaning stay in that place. Just keep your mission in that place. Look at verse 5. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. What is he saying? He's saying wherever you go, be sure to stay and do the work of ministry there. Be faithful to the kingdom there. Proclaim the kingdom there. Do works of mercy there. But if they will not receive you, literally shake the dust off and move on. Friends, that needs to be our marching orders. The more arguing or the more convincing will not change someone. But our job is to be faithful to the message, to the mission that Christ has given. With those who receive, we rejoice. And when those reject, we shake the dust and we move on. Paul reminds us of who ultimately should get the victory when he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. The expansion of the kingdom belongs to Jesus. Church, are we faithfully preaching the gospel in times of popularity as well as times of hostility? Are we? See, that's a challenging question, isn't it? Because it's easy to speak when you know others agree with you. But are you willing to speak out when the world disagrees? The methods may change, but the message never can. Look at verse 6. It says, The disciples departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What I love about verse 6 is its honesty of obedience. That's exactly what they did. They did what they were told. They did it even when it was probably scary. Could you imagine the fears of, well, what if I mess up the message? What if somebody rejects? What if I try to heal someone and it doesn't work? All the questions that the disciples must have had, but they went. They went because they were faithful and they went to the villages and they proclaimed the gospel and they healed everywhere. Their ministry was a word and deed ministry and it was faithful. The disciples went and did all that they were called to do because their desire was to seek the glory of Christ. Ironically, R.C. Sproul points out that this little passage, verses 1 through 6, connects us with two ends of the Gospel of Luke. The front end, which is solely about what Christ was doing to what he was preparing would take place by his disciples. If you want to call it a hinge passage, it is. It's about a picture of what would take place in Acts as the gospel would spread through persecution, through sufferings, and how the kingdom of God would be declared and the world would be changed. They would be his witnesses. That's really what this verse is about. 
them being his witnesses. Yet, you know what? There's two ways witnesses fail. The first is they're not about the ministry that they've been given. See, churches fail when they cease to preach the gospel. And I believe churches also fail when they cease to do good works. Because the world is watching. And when the world is hostile, they see us by our actions. They notice us by our love. They notice us by the way in which we care for others. And then they're willing to listen to our message. So the word indeed ministry matters and churches fail to witness when they lack a word and deed ministry. But it's not simply there that the church fails. The church can also fail when it doesn't give glory to where glory is due. Could you imagine if the disciples came back high-fiving each other and talking about how great they were? Ironically, that's what they're going to struggle with. They're going to start to struggle with who's the greatest in the kingdom. They're going to have arguments amongst themselves. And we say, how foolish, how silly. Don't they know the source of their power, the source of their authority? Well, friends, I say today, don't churches know the source of their authority, sources of their power? See, I believe churches fail when they take credit for themselves rather than giving it to Christ. Churches do this when they're more focused on their name, their reputation, than on Christ and his name and his reputation. Friends, Christ gave us, just as he gave those 12, the privilege of glorifying his name throughout the world. We're to be busy in word and deed glorifying him. This is why the Apostle Paul said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. No matter hostility, no matter popularity, our job is to glorify Christ in all we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close the pages to this, what could be deemed a somber message, and yet, Lord, it's a message we need to hear as we look out upon, amongst the cultures shifting, the way in which things are changing. And God, help us to be ever mindful that we've celebrated and we've We've, we've enjoyed the goodness and the comfortability of a culture that resembled in many ways the morals of the Bible. And yet, Lord, as we come to a place where more and more the morals of the culture are different than the morals of the Bible, may we not back down. May we be faithful. May we be diligent in proclaiming the good news of the gospel and Lord, may we seek ways to love our neighbors well, both in word and deed. But Lord, above all things, may we seek to glorify your name, for that's why we've been sent on mission in the first place, that your kingdom would be known. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said,
commandment. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.